Hello, and welcome back to Resonant Reels, where we talk about movies and television and stuff. We got another jam-packed episode diving into Breaking Bad, but before we do that, I want to hear from my best buddy, Adam. How you doing? What's up, man? Uh, you'd be so proud of me. I watched two movies yesterday that I had never seen before. One you actually texted me about a few weeks back. I definitely watched the uh, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah on Netflix. It was so fun. And also just like, wow, what a nepotism movie of just like Adam Sandler and his wife, who did not play his wife because Idina Menzel played his wife. (laughs) And then his two daughters and one of his daughters is like the main character of the movie. And it was delightful. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. I was like, this is a very like fun creative film i was in it i had a great time watching it amazing i'm so glad yeah because i came across it like a while ago i feel like and i was just like this just randomly popped up and i was just like having one of those nights where it's just like fuck it i can't sleep i'll watch this and honestly the score is so dope like it's just like it's all the classics that of like music that i feel like was our middle school era get hype that now as adults when we go out to like bars or clubs and they play that we just like lose our minds um and it is just they did just such a good job of it it gave if you've ever seen pen 15 it gave me like pen 15 vibes of like just middle schoolers being middle schoolers and thinking they're so cool and in reality you're watching it and you're like oh god I can't handle the secondhand embarrassment and the cringe. And then this one, I think you're especially going to be proud of me for. I watched Halloween Ends. Oh, snap. Yes. So what I will say is I have only seen the first three. So there was like, spoiler alert in the first five minutes of the film when I find out that Jamie Lee Lee Curtis's daughter got murdered in the movie before this one, because I never watched that one. And it it seems like that one was maybe like, more action packed, kind of like gruesome-y whatever one came out like right before this one but i really liked it i actually i i thoroughly enjoyed the first three halloween movies that i watched um, which is why i kept watching them after the first one so you saw like og 78 or something halloween right okay and its sequel i'm looking up halloween franchise in order okay so i watched halloween from 1978 halloween 2 from 1981 and then the next one... Season of the Witch? It's a great question. I typed in in order and it did not give it to me in oh. order. <laughs> oh, yes. Season of the Witch, the 1982. Okay, which is which doesn't have Michael Myers in it at all, which is kind of funny. So, and then I jumped all the way to... I skipped, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine movies uh, and watched Halloween Ends from 2022. Because Halloween Ends is the third one in the new trilogy, I think. Because essentially they're, they're like, we're continuing off of the very first film and ignoring everything else in between. Because we still want Jamie Lee Curtis because she's a badass, you know, OG Scream Queen. Yeah, so, so you missed the craziness that was Halloween Kills right before Halloween Ends. But I will say, this was like, this was a good movie. I I really liked it. And like, There are few psychological thriller horror. I'll say there are a few horror movies. This definitely this falls more on like slasher 
um, that I actually like enjoy. And I actually very much enjoyed this movie. There were a lot of like layers to it. It didn't seem just like a, a slasher film, kind of like the first ones that I had watched. I, I did find it a little weird when I, I watched it. I think I watched it last year when it came out. Maybe because I just like forgot what was they're trying to do with this new trilogy of movies. So it's just like, where are these random characters come from? I don't remember these people. And I was like, I've just forgotten what happened in Halloween Kills a little bit. I just remembered a bunch of people died. Great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Watching some cool, fun new movies. Amazing. I know. I was like, wait, not me (laughs) expanding. (laughs) Anyways, we're going to dive into... Was this episodes five, six, and seven of this season of Breaking Bad? So just a three episode. It these episodes are kind of like semi breather, like a little. We get to take a little bit of a break from like the super intensity because the first four episodes was this arc of Walt and Jesse being kidnapped and the immediate outcomes of that and the immediate repercussions from that. So now we're just kind of like collecting ourselves a little bit, but then dealing with very different but interesting problems i would say among different characters like we we stop being super focused on walt and jesse i feel like in what we're usually focused on with them with you know making meth and dealing with crime lords and nonsense so our first episode episode five breakage uh written by moira wally beckett and directed by johan rank and i'll just let adam take it away hell yeah okay so I was telling Chandler right before we started recording, I actually really enjoyed this like set, this set of three episodes. The pacing was just like a little, a little different. Like the stakes were still high, but we didn't, we didn't feel the like anxiety of the the previous episodes of like dealing with like Tuco and like knowing that things were reaching a boiling point like this was a lot more like chilled out uh even though there was some crazy stuff that still happened within these episodes so in episode five we start off with a scene of like these two guys kind of like i don't know trekking through a, a river this is like our 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 i don't know our flashback type moment that we get our prelude that we get sometimes that we're like coming up in the uh, you know episodes and one of the guys comes across the uh glass like square that held Tuco's grill that Hank got and immediately I was like ooh interesting I was like how did we like get here okay like cool Hank's narrative in this episode is like we learned pretty quickly that he has like some some PTSD from that shootout even though he is not talking about it or like acknowledging it at all and I thought that that was really interesting to like make that finally like give Hank some sort of like breaking point because all we've seen from him so far has been this very like macho racist uh like kind of like dea guy and now he's now he's been affected by something and uh so that's kind of like his story arc which which we can you know come back to walt and jesse are in an interesting place at the top of this episode because they still need to like 
sell drugs, but now they're unsure of how to kind of do that. And there's some like difference of opinion there. So our, our reintroduction to Walt for this episode is he, we, he gets told that he is uh, in remission and there is a just cynical moment that I loved so much where he is at the, the checkout counter or whatever with the like insurance lady. And she's like, okay, so we're not billing insurance. Is that correct? And he's like, yeah. And then she's like, okay, let me just print out this receipt. And it's just this painfully long receipt that's getting printed out on one of those, oh God, like an OG Xerox, basically, where it like is is punching everything out and it's taking so long. And she hands it over and he makes a comment about how like, oh, I thought we agreed on like the cash price discount she said oh yeah like that's been applied and he's like fuck and then she hands him a button that says like hope is the best medicine and it's like damn he's got a bill for thousands upon thousands of dollars of medical debt and he's got this button that says hope is the best medicine and she goes congratulations and i thought that that was so well like well done because that is the reality of our medical system it's like congratulations you survived cancer also you owe like a hundred thousand dollars congrats like it's <laughs> and that just like set the tone really for it, it not didn't set the tone maybe that's the wrong thing that i'm trying to communicate like it brings us back again which Walt even says a little bit later like this all started because of his family and like to pay all of like these bills and everything like like he's doing this for his family and it kind of like recenters that as kind of the main points. And so as Walt's doing that, Jesse is like trying to find a new place and like settle up on his debts, which I really like our the scene for him because it does show us that like the responsibility, which is such a weird word to use, but like for Jesse, like he returns to the car lot where he like drove the rv out of where that guy was like badger's cousin was like gonna sell all his stuff and everything and returned like with the money that he had promised that guy and and even said like you know my money is my word and it was just, just kind of like damn okay like like jesse does kind of have his head on his shoulders which is a weird thing to say about someone who's so involved in drugs but like he he does he is and like he strikes a deal with him the the car lot guy about like storing his car there he pays in advance the next scene we get from jesse is like he's trying to find an apartment and like a, a place to live and we get our introduction to a new character who is like the landlord person of like the place that he's trying to get whose name is jane played by Kristen ritter who i love she's awesome i i just love her as an actress she's so good it's clear from the beginning that this is like a kind of like flirty dynamic like and, and which again is like oh man this is so toxic because like she is immediately telling jesse like don't fuck this up because she's like oh yeah, yeah if you're interested just like fill out all this paperwork and everything and he has to do the like deep sigh and he's like I literally can't do any of that, but like, I'm good for the money. Like I'll pay up front. And like, she takes a chance on him because it's clear she kind of likes him. Like now what that like is at that point in time, you know, whatever. But uh, he, she winds up like renting to him 
And so they become next door neighbors, which is uh, very cute. We get a, a conversation that happens between Jesse and Walt about how like two goes gone and Walt is like, we need to make money. I know it's not ideal, but like you need to sell on the street. Like we need to go back to what we were doing. Like we can't deal with another like getting into business with another like crazy Tuco, basically. Jesse at this point kind of has like his big boy britches on and he totally flips the cards on Waltz. And he's like, no, he was like, we're going to do this my way. And he's like, you need me just as much as I need you. And like, that's kind of the first time that we see him actually claiming his power in this relationship that they have he's like there's a there's a third way which is like we become to go he's like i'll get some recruits like we'll we'll start this thing well that's how we're gonna do this and so he recruits badger and skinny pete who we've seen before and then we have combo who i don't know if we've met combo before but i think i think he's the new guy and they walk into his apartment and it's just so funny because it it's just radiating like late 20s just scumbag men like like who are just like not doing well like i don't know and like badger walks in and he's like damn it's like echoey in here and then he just makes some noise he's like wahoo and like it, it bounces around and i'm like damn these really are just like young guys i was like these are these are friends that like i could have um <laughs> minus the drugs like <laughs> And it was just like, that was just a very like human moment, which I enjoyed. And so like Jesse kind of gives him the deal. He's like, look, no one is selling on the streets right now because Tuco's gone. He was kind of running the game. So we're going to pop up. We're going to be like the new distributors. And they were even, they are even selling at like a higher price. I think it was like 25 for uh, whatever the increments are that they sell in. And they were, they were saying like, oh, the, the like street price is like 17 or 18. Like that's kind of crazy. And he was like, this is, this is top shelf drugs. And again, like nobody's selling right now. So like people are going to pay for it. So we get this montage of, you know, uh, the three of them, Badger, Skinny Pete and Combo, just like doing really well, like selling the drugs and getting montages of like Jesse doing blind drops. He was like, you will not come here. Nothing is happening out of this apartment. We're not even going to like do drugs in this apartment. Like, fuck no. It's like going well until the like end of the montage moment we get is Skinny Pete. And there's this woman that he was trying to sell to being like, the cops are here, the cops are here. And they're like running down an alley. And then he kind of like dives into this building and down this hallway and he gets held up at knife point by who is clearly this woman's like partner and they rob him for his money and his meth and these two this woman and this guy look like drug addicts like they have like open sores everywhere like they're clearly off their rockers like it's not not a great situation and that kind of is like what ends our jesse waltz kind of moment in this episode and then the the going back to hank for a second we find out that he got a promotion so because of his great quote unquote great work with like tuco and everything he is now getting appointed to like a, a tri-state drug force drug task force or whatever you know his boss is even gassing him up he's like he's like you're a shark like sharks survive or whatever and so like, it's time for you to like move up and keep, keep being a shark or whatever. 
And when he goes to tell his buddies about uh, like his promotion, they're like, oh yeah, like we're going out to lunch, but you're buying, haha. And he's like, okay, I'll meet you down there in a sec. So Hank winds up in the elevator by himself and he has a full on panic attack in the elevator where he just like is pressing the, like to the point where he's actually pressing the like emergency bell like button uh, for like the fire department. And he's, it was maybe literally in TV time, three seconds after him getting in the elevator, all of a sudden he starts kind of like wigging out. And then the elevator gets to the bottom floor and he walks out all cool, calm and collected, like nothing happened. Again, just kind of emphasizing that he is not actually as okay as he's like pretending to be. And all of the guys around him are not even considering that he might be a little messed up like they're all just taking a very like manly macho hell yeah like you killed a drug dealer like stance um which was kind of crazy that's happening and then jesse goes to give his like drop off of money to Walt. man Walt's just kind of an asshole and like i get it like but like he gets like 15 grand and he's like help me do the math here. And I'm like, Oh, God, I'm like, that's such a it's just such a jerk response. Like you just know where it's going. And basically just realizes he's like a grand short or something from what he should have been paid mathematically. And so Jesse has to tell him that there was an incident with skinny Pete and like, got held up or whatever. Well, and, and Jesse's like, what do you want me to do about it? Blah, blah, blah. And so then we get like later after that, Walt and Jesse meet up again and Walt's like, you asked me what I want you to do about it. And he like hands a revolver to Jesse. And he's like, I want you to handle it. The same revolver from the the one Jesse bought in Fear of Tuco. Yeah, because basically they're, they're like, we don't want this. We don't want this to set a precedent. Like we don't want to be known as like an easy mark to like rob or anything, because if this gets out, like other people aren't going to take it seriously. And when the episode ended, I my brain 100% did the uh, did the law and order like bump bump like <laughs> at the end <laughs> because Amazing. that was just the vibe it had. Like I want you to handle it, bump bump, and I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, I again like it was it, it wasn't even a slow burn. It's just like we're we're kind of back into like narrative instead of like action in this episode. Yeah, I do want to. I, I want to dive back so much. Like there's. This episode like has a nice like almost easygoing pace, but yet so much still happens because there's just like a lot of development happening. But like going back to Walt and Jesse, kind of like figuring out how to like reset up shop and everything, and th- and the order of responsibilities. Like Jesse full on calls Walt by his name, Walt instead of Mister White, and it's the first time he's done that. True. It's like he's literally taking a stand for himself. Of like, I'm not going to deal with any more of this shit because you don't understand like so much of this criminal enterprise that we're trying to do because you just want a quick buck to get what you need for whatever fucking reason with your cancer and bills and stuff. But you're willing to like leave me out there and sacrifice me if you if you really have to, which is like really, really cool to see Jesse kind of take a little more agency and control over his life instead of just kind of being walked over. But then it's like, I feel like that like triggers Walt even more to becoming more of an asshole because like, I feel like this whole episode he's been 
he's been just like meandering around and being like so like down in the dumps because the episode also starts with him doing another chemotherapy treatment and it's just weird because he's alone compared to everyone else around him and like this like time lapse he's just alone there the whole time because he and Skylar are still not okay he's just full of so much like anger and resentment it feels like and he doesn't know what to do with it or healthily take care of it yeah it does but then also Walt he he kind of like finds a little bit of evidence of Skylar's bad habits that she's kind of picked up on because he's using the bathroom like he's he's retching into the toilet again because you know that's just what happens when you're on chemotherapy and stuff and he's trying to flush the toilet and it's like clogged and all of a sudden like all this like gunk and stuff comes out and he's just like what what is this and we see something like big floating around and it's a carton of cigarettes and i'm just like who who flushes a carton of cigarettes down a toilet like that doesn't make sense in in the first place it was actually only like five minutes of the episode before, though, that when he came home, he had made a comment to her. He was like, have you been around somebody who was smoking? She was like, no. And then five minutes later, he's finding these these cigarettes like stuck in the toilet. And he's also like seeing Skylar eating like he makes a comment of like highly salt, high salt sodium content. Oh, yeah, like a panini from the freezer. That he's he's worried about the health of, like, the baby and stuff, like which is, like, understandable, but it's also, it feels weird because he's, like, somewhat being domineering, but, like, I think that's just what we as the audience see because Walt's been, sh- like, stripped of all that power in the last couple episodes. So we feel as the audience of, like, why is Walt feeling like he's got to overstep everyone and everything and take control? Which I think is really interesting in, like, the, the direction and style of, of things. Well, and to back that up too, there was the moment as well where he asks Skylar, like, oh, like, where's Walt Jr. or Flynn or whatever? And she was like, out. And he goes, and he's being like super passive aggressive, being like, out, out, where? And she's like, she, I don't know, she gives some like flippant response. He's like, well, I just thought you would know like where your son is. And like, it was like very attacky. And she was like, why am I the only one who has to keep track of where like he is? And then basically makes a jab where she's like, if you want to know where he is so bad, why don't you call him like I do? And I was like, damn, yeah, she was giving it right back because he was, he was just trying to be, it's so clear. He's just like not feeling in control at home at all about anything. And he's like breaking a little bit with it. But also a really interesting scene that happens in this episode a little bit later Walt's family, they go over to Hank and Marie's place for like a barbecue in celebration of Hank's promotion. And we see like Hank drinking a lot. Like he's numbing trauma and he's using alcohol to numb that. And like throughout this episode, Hank has been like brewing his own beer, which is really interesting. That's like a hobby of his in the garage. And Marie makes a comment about it, about like being how he's just being so weird that he's hiding in the dark making beer for himself. Yeah, but she was like, it was specifically, she was like, you just got a promotion yesterday and you took the day off work today to bottle beer in the dark in the garage. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, what's <laughs> weird about that? Sounds normal to me. Like, <laughs> And then also at that, at that kind of like celebration dinner, Skylar and Marie kind of start making amends a little bit. Because Skylar, Skylar just full on just becomes super blunt 
to Marie being like, it's just not okay. Like, I need you to apologize. It's now or never. Like, I want my sister. And it's like, it's clear. Skylar finally makes it clear to Marie that, like, Skylar's not angry at Marie. She is just needs support because she's struggling so hard. And she thought her sister could be that, but she feels she's been betrayed by her sister. And Marie kind of, like, sobers up in that moment of reality and apologizes for real for once. And and we kind of get a little bit of some mending between that relationship to happen, which is kind of nice, but who knows? And then the other thing that I, I forgot it was at the end of this one um, with Hank too, was um, just another moment of him showing that he is dealing with trauma is he like wakes up in the middle of the night and he's like hearing gunshots and it's like very clear that what we're hearing as an audience like are the gunshots that were being fired at his shootout with Tuco because they sound like they're hitting like glass and car and things like that and he literally pulls out his gun and starts like going through the house it turns out that it is the the bottle caps of the beer that were in the garage that were popping off of the bottles because of like all of the pressure, which I was like, wow, such a, uh, such a clear, like beautiful uh, analogy of like, yes, Hank is the beer bottle that is popping because he's under so much like pressure. Yeah. And I feel like Hank deals with some of, some of the trauma because at the very end of the episode, he he just goes out to some river off off a highway, which I think was really interestingly filmed because the overshot of Hank is like from like a camcorder of like the early thousands, so it's got this like really like bad grainy kind of quality to it, and it, then it cuts to like a nicer camera, and Hank throws this the his trophy of Tuco's grill into the river, as as like a first step to kind of get over this traumatic event. Which I, which is really interesting for his character. I found this a funny, funny little tidbit. When Jesse's recruiting his buddies, he kind of like takes on an air of Walt within himself, being like, "Apply yourselves," and it's just like so good. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah. That's episode five. You got anything else? Man, not about this one. I just I'm enjoying these. Uh, like I said, like I'm just enjoying these narrative ones. These narrative episodes. So then we'll get into episode six, Peekaboo, written by Jay Roberts and Vince Gilligan and directed by Peter Madak. I do, I do, I want to throw this tidbit because this is like a thing when I came into rewatching it. This episode definitely feels like, like Jesse's own long day's journey into night, like that Eugene O'Neill play. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me being too poetic about it. Like there's, there's some vibes with like characters in that sense, but like different circumstances altogether. But it was just, yeah, interesting character study. No, totally. I am actually very interested in exploring that further. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't even think about that, but I like that. That's dope. All right. So this episode, whew, this one got me a little bit for like a couple of different reasons. This one was sad. Like this one was just incredibly sad and depressing. We start off with um, Jesse and Skinny Pete are like meeting up and uh, Skinny Pete has gotten the address for where these two people who like held him, these two addicts who like robbed him, where their location is. So I think one thing that I was like, 
I just love Jesse's character so much because we have these moments, like you just said in the last episode of like, he's adopting Walt's kind of like pep talks and like the apply yourself and like these mannerisms and things and also like stepping up. But then he still went and had to get ripped on meth to like go with the gun into these like two addicts homes. And he like gets, he gets there and he's like knocking on the door and there's no answer. Like it's dead silent as he's like knocking on the door and everything. And he's, he's being smart about it. Like he's not staying in front of the door in case, you know, they like shoot out the door or something, whatever. But as an audience member, it's kind of unclear whether they are or aren't in the house, even though like nothing's happening except on his end. And it's just so funny because then of course, like, the uh UPS or USPS like male woman arrives and <laughs> he has to like hide the gun and he's trying to act so normal and like so sober and she's like you're standing in front of the mailbox darling or whatever like she's being so normal and nice and he's out here just high 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 on drugs with a gun about to murder people and he's like oh yeah my bad and like they get into like some small talk or whatever and then she leaves and that whole interaction to me i was just cackling like i i just thought it was so funny because whether you've been like drunk or or whatever i think everybody has had that moment or even an anxiety attack i feel like where it's like you are so not okay and you are so not in your right mind and someone is approaching you and you're like i gotta be so cool right now like i gotta be so normal and like (laughs) and like just watching what that interaction looks like from a third party perspective was hilarious So after she leaves, he winds up like breaking into the house. Um, He like gets in through some like window or something around the the back. And he's like, he's holding the gun. He's like, you know, come on, like anybody here, like come on out, like whatever. And again, it's still dead silent. And so he just like starts exploring the house. He's like looking for his money. He's looking for the meth basically. So he's like opening drawers, whatever. And it seems like in the way that it was filmed, like he had been there for a while like it like just kind of like looting stuff and um, in the silence out pops this toddler who just waddles into the living room turns on the television and sits right back down on like the recliner like this is his routine this is what he does every day and he just starts watching the tv and jesse's just kind of like what and he's like he tries to talk to this kid and he's like is your is your are your parents home? Like, and and kid like doesn't really say anything like at all, except I'm, I'm pretty sure he said like, I'm hungry at one point. And that was like all he said. And so one thing that I have learned through watching this is that Jesse has an affinity for kids, like young kids, like are a weak point, not a weak point, but like are a, are a, a soft spot like for Jesse. And so he like makes this kid like a like a fluffernutter sandwich like in the in the kitchen and like is is talking to him because he realizes that this is the the son of these two just like methed out people and the kid is also just filthy. Like he's got dirt all over his face. His lips are super chapped like he is clearly not well taken care of in the slightest like he's he's a 
fully neglected kid. We just kind of watch this interaction with like Jesse and this kid for again, in, in what the way it's filmed, it seems like for hours, even after that, then Jesse hears the, the, the couple, the, the return home and they come home and Jesse's instinct is literally, he picks up the kid and like goes and lays him down in the bedroom. And he was like, do not like come out of this room. Just like, just stay here. And so even his instinct was like, protect the kid. And then I'm going to go handle my business or whatever. And he sneaks up on him and like wax spooge, like wax him over the head and is kind of like holding them both at gunpoint. He wa- He's like, where, like, <laughs> where's my money? Which again, when he was high as hell, like right before the USPS person showed up, he was practicing how he was going to say it. He was like, where's my money? Where's my, where's my money? Like trying, I was like, oh man, it was so funny. And then in real time, he just like, he's just like, where's my fucking money? Like, where's my meth? Like all this stuff. He, he like pats them down or like searches them or whatever. And, uh, he can't find it. And they're like, yeah, like, they're like, sorry, man. Like, like we don't have it. We smoked it on. He was like, you smoked an ounce of meth or like you, you did an ounce of, of meth in 24 hours. And they were like, uh-huh. And then he just looks at them and he goes, if you don't take that meth out of your assholes right now, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to get it myself. And then I was like, that is gnarly. Like that was actually kind of crazy. And so he, they do, they like give him the meth that they had up there butts which is crazy and then he's like where's my money and they're like we have your money and then some like right here and it is an atm that they had stolen like the biggest thing is is jesse keeps talking to them they're like yeah this was like we just walked in we took it no casualties like whatever and he's like no casualties and they're like no casualties and while that dialogue is happening we're seeing a sequence of like they're uh they've got like you know the forensic markers up like where the atm was and there is fully some guy who i'm guessing was like the convenience store owner just bloody and murdered you know i think that's a little bit of foreshadowing about this atm and the bills that might have been in the atm and things but very clearly it was actually not a no casualties situation type robbery the, but the thing is <laughs> they can't get the ATM open. Like Spooge has this like sledgehammer that he's just knocking into this thing and he can't get it open, can't get it open. And like Jesse gets pissed off and Jesse tries to do the exact same thing. And then we just see like Spooge and his wife just like watching solemnly as Jesse is now trying to op- open the ATM, can't get it open. While this is happening, the son just goes and puts himself to bed, which was kind of, again, so depressing because it's like, man, this kid has created his own routine. Like he knows when he wakes up, he goes and turns the TV on to watch the shopping channel, sits on the recliner because that's the only channel they get, and then knows when it's time for him to go put himself to bed. So at some point he had put himself to bed. I remember that. And then the son comes out and Jesse gets distracted by the kid because he's like hey buddy like are like are you okay do you need anything and the the couple takes it as an opportunity to hit jesse over the back of the head and like take his gun and like knock him out 
and the woman says like because jesse had been making comments about how she was like a terrible neglectful mother earlier and she was like i'll show you like like call me a count call me a bad mother again or whatever and like as he's knocked out so now the couple has the gun and has the power and jesse's just out cold on the floor basically as he comes back oof this was this is this is this is this is rough so he he starts to like come back into consciousness while he's on the floor i couldn't tell what he was reaching for but there was something on the ground that he kept like trying to reach for and was and it it was it was some sort of tool i think that could have given him like an upper hand it was either the crowbar or the hammer because i think they're like both nearby Gotcha. And so it was that thing where he was like, don't let them know that I'm awake, but I'm like going to slowly inch my hand over to like this to like try to get up whatever. And Spooge is now under, they have the ATM like on a slant. And there's this funny dialogue of like, he's being like, if you were to make an ATM, like, where would you put the weak spot? And the woman's like, I wouldn't have a weak spot. (laughs) Like, Like, I would make sure it's pretty solid. And he was like, no, you, like, no, he, he calls her a skank. And he's like, you put it on the bottom. She's like, I'm not a skank. And like that, it, this is like a repeated conversation that had happened earlier as well, like with him calling her a skank. And I actually think it happened when they were walking in, uh, when Jesse like first surprised them. And they're like talking and, and the nonchalance of this is what was crazy to me. She was like, she was like, basically like, I need to get high. And he was like, because she was on like a come down or something and like wasn't doing well. And he was like, it's because you took too much. And you like, again, keeps calling her a skank, whatever. And she literally goes, I'm not a skank, pushes the ATM and crushes his head. And then just like gets high on the couch. And that all happens in 10 seconds. And again, this wasn't even like a, I'm going to kill him and I'm going to push this ATM. Like she literally just like, it's like, it reminded me, this is so weird to relate it to, but like a cat, when it, when, when you're watching a cat, like on a counter and you're like, don't knock that thing over. And then it just kind of like gently pause it out of defiance. Like that is what this reminded me of. It was like, it was just a truly weirdly gentle push of the ATM that crushed his head like a grape and like next thing we know it's just a massive pool of blood and this obviously is what like jesse's like no 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 because he was awake he just watched that happen the the woman's now on the couch but pretty much like just out because she's high this dude spooge is dead as hell on the floor underneath this atm and jesse starts like freaking out and he starts trying to just wipe his fingerprints off the atm off the stuff he used to make the kid the camp the the sandwich in the kitchen like and as he is trying to just rub the fingerprints off the atm the atm door swings open and all of the money falls out and he's like damn so he he takes like as much money as he can he grabs the rest of the drugs then he calls 911 doesn't say anything just dials it and leaves the phone off the hook and he goes in the bedroom and the reason that this episode is called peekaboo is because he was playing that game with this toddler earlier 
to like try to get the toddler like engaged and have some fun or whatever. And so he goes back into the bedroom. He's like, Hey, like, remember when we played peekaboo? Like you want to, you want to play peekaboo? He's like, okay, close your eyes and you can't open them until I tell you to. And again, just like his instinct to shield this child from the gory scene that is in the, the living room and his, this kid mom being just drugged out on the couch he brings him outside on the front porch he's he's just like do not go like don't go back into the house and then we hear sirens and jesse just books it and that truly was like there's which i'll talk about there's other character stuff that's happening kind of in between this but this was like the biggest plot line like of of everything and what was so crazy is that walt calls jesse and after all of this leaves a message to jesse he was like remember when i said handle it like actually don't worry about it and it's like just we just watched jesse go through this horrendous event this poor kid his dad's head got crushed by an atm this woman is drugged out on the couch and then walt is just leaving this voicemail he was like never mind basically just never mind forget about it and it was like oh my god it's it's such a crazy episode because jesse's there all day like he gets there in the morning and he's there until the late night and he's he's dealing with these really broken disturbed people for lack of a better definition because they're drug addicted they're so drug dependent and this is like partially of the the sad truth of uh drug addicts that they they are just looking for their next high and how to acquire enough money to achieve their next high and keep that feeling for for whatever reason. So it's really sad because Jesse, before this, Jesse seemed to be getting clean of meth at least for the most part. Like he would occasionally like you know still do pot and stuff like that, just like calm nerves and stuff like that. But he was he seemed on this recovery course. But then because Walt has to be an asshole, he ends up doing another hit of meth to deal to do something he knows is going to be utterly disturbing to him and traumatic. And it it goes so off the rails. And it's it's sad because we know like Jesse's going to blame so much of this on himself, even though he he had the least impact of this happening because like. Th- this this woman would have killed her husband or partner or whoever without Jesse there anyways. And it's just sad. And it's just the we do get the gleam of hope that like maybe Jesse has saved this kid from an internal life of torment. And it's especially sad that as Jesse leaves him, he says, you have a good rest of your life, kid. And like that's the last imparting advice he can give. And I feel like Jesse sees so much of like his younger brother and even like maybe his younger self of potential in this kid. And I feel like that's why he has a soft spot for kids because he sees these avenues that he's missed or could have gone down depending on the choices he has made because he is still arguably fairly young. He's like in his early 20s, right? Jesse has, has been having a lot of reality checks honestly and a lot of growing up and 
like this episode alone, like he's seeing these really broken people with problems and he's he like even calls them out on their problems when he initially has the upper hand with them at gunpoint of like stop it like like why do you guys live like this like do you have a kid you need to take care of this kid like this is not okay and everything and like that's where i see like parallels to eugene o'neill's play because that play takes place over a course of a day with this one family with a bunch of problems and it's a very long play and so there's a lot of like that but like jesse's like a weird bystander because he has his only connection to these people is his stolen merchandise and money that he's arguably been forced to get back because walt is so manipulative with pressure and we realize walt only called it off later when it was too late anyways because of the other shit walt has to deal with in this episode right Meanwhile, this is Walt's first day back at teaching. His job was was given back to him to teach chemistry. It's just, oh man, it was just depressing again to watch him try to like engage this class of high school students, which was so relatable. It's it's hard like when you're particularly enthusiastic about a subject, like that absolutely helps like get engagement from kids for sure but sometimes they just do not care and it is it is agonizing like to be up there and be like listen i know you don't want to learn about this i'm trying so hard to make this interesting to you like i have a curriculum i have to follow and he talks about it's like syllabus day clearly or something and he was like he was like this is a hard class he was like you're not going to understand things. He was like, you take one thing from this class, just one thing. He was like, just remember that everything is made from carbon. And the principal has like walked in at this point, which I'm like, wow, even worse of a nightmare is getting observed during a class period that clearly is so unengaged or disengaged and doesn't want to be there. So he just starts on this monologue about carbon. And it was so painful. It was painful. He starts talking about like the inventor of like diamonds, basically, and how he was like synthetic diamonds. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, so there is like the guy who this guy who's made of carbon invented synthetic diamonds, which are also made of carbon and did it like using carbon. It was like a it was like a whole a whole thing. And he kind of goes off on a tangent about that guy about that inventor he said you want to know what they paid him they paid him like a ten dollar bond a ten dollar u.s savings bond meanwhile like the people the general electric company like made insane amounts of money like just massive profits that was such an interesting moment because it was a moment where we could clearly tell that walt felt a camaraderie with that inventor of like he did this magnificent crazy brilliant thing discovered stuff and he got paid a ten dollar u.s savings bond and just kind of faded into obscurity meanwhile like these other people got super rich and that is that is a direct comparison to walt's relationship with the gray matter technologies company we haven't heard about in quite some time because I think the last time we truly heard about it was that birthday party episode. 
because as far as Walt's wife Skylar knows, Gretchen and her husband Elliot are are still paying for Walt's chemo and like everything. And even at, towards the beginning of this episode, like Skylar's on the phone with a hospital about a medical bill, and she says, "Like, listen, I know." This is like crazy to ask, but do you think that like Gretchen and Elliot would be able to cover this one too? And Walt's just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll ask. No big deal at all. Like I'll ask whatever, blah, blah, blah. While Skylar is home and while Walt is at the school, there is a voice message that gets left uh, on the home answering machine from Gretchen being like, hi, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm in the area. I was calling to just make sure everything was okay. Like I tried Walt's cell phone. The line was disconnected, like blah, blah, blah. Skylar immediately calls Gretchen back. We just get this moment of seeing like bashful gratitude basically from Skylar of like, I'm so sorry that I never called sooner. I, I just didn't know what to say for your generosity. She was like, you're that like what you are doing for this family has literally saved us and gretchen is on the other end of the line with this face that's just like what the fuck and like she keeps trying to like interject to kind of be like what are you talking about and skylar's just kind of steamrolling the conversation with her like thanks and praise and everything she was like if you and elliot are ever in you know in the in the area like we would you know you always have a place here and Gretchen was like, why don't I, why don't I come over? Like, how's right now? And she was, and Skylar was like, great. So Walt gets home with Walt Jr. slash Flynn, whatever he's going by this episode, uh, and pulls up and there's a Bentley in the driveway. And Walt Jr. is like, damn, whose car is this? And we just see Walt kind of have this fuck, 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 like kind of like face where he's just immediately trying to calculate his next move while also being completely thrown off guard and he gets into the house and he's basically like hey and and gretchen just kind of like is like hey like and wall is like everything is normal and this is so weird and like gretchen clearly has not outed me that she's not paying these medical bills but it was almost like as soon as walt got home like gretchen got up and, and left and so she like walks out the front door and Walt's like oh what am I what am I thinking I should like walk her to the car so he like kind of sprints outside super quick and he was like he was like let me explain like let me talk to you please like whatever and he was like please don't say anything until we have a chance to talk and she was like nothingness and then like she drove away pretty much so then Walt takes a trip to Santa Fe to like talk to Gretchen and apologize to her and everything and Gretchen wants to know why like she doesn't necessarily care so much that it happened but she's like why did this happen how have you been paying for everything when your wife clearly thinks that we've been paying for everything and instead of answering like any of the questions that are being asked at him Walt kind of devolves into this anger speech about like being cut out of gray matter and essentially what he was saying about this inventor of diamonds saying that about gray matter and being like, I, it was my work. It was my research. It was all of this. And you guys just like cut me out. And this is where we learned that Walt walked out on Gretchen, which I was like, Ooh, interesting plot point because 
it definitely seemed beforehand like Elliot and Gretchen kind of maybe morphed together and cut Walt out, which is what Walt is arguing. But Gretchen seemed very sincere and very authentic in that. Like she was very hurt by Walt just like walking out on their relationship and on her and everything. And Walt just goes all in and starts like cursing at at Gretchen and, and not having it. And so she leaves. And when he gets back home, Skylar's like, where have you been? Just kidding. Like, I feel like we play this game all the time now. And this is, I never get an answer. So whatever. And they just like sit down on the couch and she's like, so Gretchen called and they're not going to be paying for your treatments anymore. And she was like, so I just want to know what you know about this. Because she was like, I had a great time with Gretchen. And then you get home and she practically sprints out the door. And then hours later, I'm getting a call that they're not paying for anything anymore. And Walt immediately goes into this fabricated lie that the company has gone broke, that Elliot and Gretchen have no money, and that he had driven up to Santa Fe to talk to Gretchen about it. He was like, she just couldn't bear to tell you in person. He was like, she could barely even get it out, you know, to me or whatever. And we see a brief moment, like, like Skylar buys it. She's like, wow, that's crazy. Like, I can't believe it, whatever. They're just kind of sitting on the couch next to each other. There's a pause and she goes, and yet she still showed up in a Bentley. There's kind of this moment of like, ooh. And then Walt's like, yeah, keeping up appearances or something, I guess. And then the actress who plays Skylar makes a very clear choice to have to have like a reaction that is like hesitant. It's a little skeptical and we see it on her face. But Walt thinks that she's that she's still in it, that like that didn't change anything. And so that is why everything's kind of ramped up now even more because that to me, that was such a smart thing for Gretchen to do because that honestly puts Walt in the worst possible position because now it's like you have to still lie about everything and you have to figure out how to like get this money in a way that you're going to have to be transparent with your wife about. And I was like, that was such a smart move because she could have outed Walt. But like, this was such a more painful choice to make to be like, yeah, we're not, we can't, we can't pay anymore. Like for Walt, that was honestly like one of the worst possible situations, which I was like, damn, good for Gretchen. Like, <laughs> it, it both saved, but extremely hurt Walt at the same time. It saved him from having to deal with more of his lies and nonsense, but then digging a deeper hole of having to figure out more lies to figure out how he can continue his criminal uh, enterprise. Yeah, also at the uh, dinner, kind of dinner, they don't actually eat anything, which is really interesting, uh, between Gretchen and Walt. Like, after all, like, Gretchen genuinely still cares for Walt. Like there was something maybe possibly slightly romantic or like just deeply cares because she seems also like a person that like deeply cares about people if they're part of her circle kind of thing. And she like literally tells Walt like, I feel bad for you. I feel so sorry for you. And Walt just says, fuck you. And it's clearly like Walt is burning this bridge for some reason 
I want to know more. Of course, like you want to know more too. It's just like why why is Walt this way? Like clearly people liked him at Grey Matter. What was his problem with it? Yeah, clearly some there's there's information that we're not getting yet. With Walt returning to school, we we realize why the assistant principal Carmen, I believe was her name shows up during that class because like after that class she's like walt i want you to feel like you can come to me and talk to me about anything and walt starts getting this like weird vibe of just like is something wrong did i do something wrong it's like and carmen's like no 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 i just want you to know that like you can trust me for confidentiality to talk through anything and we realize when walt and flynn are going to the car to go home it's it there's uh the missing posters of walt with with some high school shenanigans hijinks of making fun of walt because clearly it's become the talk of the town of him being completely naked in a grocery store when he was found he's trying to hide it from flynn but he flynn clearly cares about his dad and like doesn't want him to feel bad and it's funny because we also kind of get a little bit of reconnection between the two of them, which is like nice. And Walt, weird joke, very weird joke. <laughs> Super weird, dark. And I'm like, is Walt okay? I know the answer is no, but moving on. Yeah, <laughs> but full on like scenarios with him being like, well, what? I feel like we find the guy, we uh, tie him up, throw him in the trunk, go to the desert, bury him neck deep and, you know. Leave him there. And then Flynn jokes like... In a fire ant hill. In a fire ant hill. And yeah, and then Flynn's like, wait, what about scorpions? I like scorpions. And Walt's like, yes. Yeah, which was just... And, and they're having that conversation on the way home to arriving to Gretchen being at their house, which is crazy. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of this episode. A fun little trivia for this episode. This is the episode Aaron Paul was nominated for Best Actor for a television episode for the 2009 Emmys. And then the final episode, final episode for this episode of Breaking Bad. I mean, we're only like halfway through the season. Episode seven, Negro y Azul, written by John Chabon and directed by Felix Enriquez Alcala. A part of my pronunciation? Yeah, so this started off crazy. I actually paused for a second because I, I don't think my brain was like prepared for what was happening because it opens with a full on like music video basically hands down my favorite intro to any episode of breaking bad because it's just so unique oh it was solid this song is is a specific subgenre uh, uh called narco corrido and it's basically like it, it said that it's produced both on like the mexican like side of the border and the u.s side of the border the reasoning was because this show is very like it's got like a lot of like Western undertones and it's set in New Mexico. So this song is in is entirely in Spanish. And uh, it is just these like band members singing about Heisenberg. And they call him a gringo uh, in the song. And basically saying that the, the Mexican drug cartel is gonna come for him because he has started well, in the song, I'll say in the song, they, they say like, oh, he's he's starting to like encroach on territory, specifically like talking about like in Albuquerque where they are and everything and talking about this, the blue crystal meth, like that's like super high quality and all of that. 
it's like it's a full song like they go like verse chorus verse chorus like and and the chorus truly is just about how the mexican drug cartel is coming for heisenberg like that is that is the song and that sets like a very interesting mood for the episode because the song itself is this very like catchy it's like uh you know upbeat um i i loved the actual like composition of the song and then you're reading the lyrics that are given to you in subtitles um and you're like huh that's interesting because that's not fun and uplifting um but it was also so funny anytime that they would say heisenberg uh because it's just such a spanish song and then they're like heisenberg and i'm like crazy uh (laughs) and that's how that's how this whole episode opens is this is this song los cuates de sinaloa so they're the band that's that's featured in the beginning so once the once the song ends and we kind of jump into the actual episode we get walt who is just like banging on jesse's like new apartment door and he's like talk to me like why can't I get a hold of you? Like all this stuff. So we're able to piece together that like, clearly Jesse has gone like MIA since everything that happened. And Walt has not been able to like contact him. Jane, the landlord from next door pops out and is like, can I help you? And like, he's like, yes, I'm trying to contact like the guy who lives here. I haven't been able to get a hold of him. He's my son. And like, <laughs> and like, and so she, and also like when Jesse got this apartment, he told her his name is Jesse Jackson. Uh, and so she's like, so you're Mr. Jackson. And Walt's like, yep, Walt Jackson, like, like on the front door of this stoop. And he was like, so I really need to get inside to do a wellness check on my son. And she was like, well, you knocked on the door, right? And he was like, yes. And she's like, and no one answered, right? And then it's just silence. And then Jesse opens the door. And he's like, come on in, dad. And like, <laughs> and it was just so funny because all three of them like knew that they were all lying about everything. But it was just like, like, what's going to happen? Is somebody going to break? Like, who knows? So Walt like goes inside or whatever. And he's just pissed. Like he... He has no idea about anything that's happened whatsoever. And Jesse's just like, he's been smoking pot. So like not, not meth, but he's got like his bong out and everything. And he's just been like, literally says he's just been staying at the apartment getting high, like, and because of everything. And, and Walt's like, where have you been? And he was like, where have I been? Like I, I handled it and like throws or like slides the revolver, like back kind of at Walt, like on the kitchen counter and tells him like, what happened uh with like the atm and spooge and the woman and the kid and all of that and walt is kind of like his instinct at first is that like not necessarily that there was a murder but that there was a murder that jesse could be like identified or like be targeted or like found out to have been at the scene of or something like that so Walt just starts asking like all sorts of questions to Jesse about like, did I see you? Like, and Jesse's like, there was this kid and Walt's like a kid. And like, and that's basically like that whole kind of interaction. And we also find out that like Jesse has not been setting up drops with the dealers, the three guys, um, because he's just been like, help, like 
kind of holding himself up in his apartment because of everything. Badger wants to set up a a drop because he needs more product to sell, right? And um, instead of Jesse going, Walt actually goes to meet these three guys, which again is such a funny occurrence, but also I thought was very important because these are the first three people who have actually met Heisenberg who are like still alive because Tuco and his two cromies met heisenberg and all three of them are dead so as of right now like nobody knows if heisenberg is is real or actually hank even says like we have no idea because because the dea has like the name heisenberg has been given to them but they have no idea whether he's real or they say like a or like a, a meth head urban legend or something like that and so like when walt goes to do this drop to these three guys, like he introduces himself like as Heisenberg. And they're like, oh, you're Heisenberg. And the whole understanding has been that like Walt never gets seen. Like Walt's Walt's supposed to be kind of the silent partner. And what I also think is interesting is that skinny Pete recognizes Walt further and says, I know you, you're the cook. And so I think that that is also very interesting that Walt has now put himself in a position where he has been seen as Heisenberg and one of them knows him as the guy who actually is cooking the meth as well, which is important, I'm guessing, but it has not come up in this episode per se. So he does this drop and he learns because the guys are super weird with him off the bat, but in like a, not in like an off-putting way in like, uh, I think it's, oh God, what is this? Uh, combo. He says something like, um, you know, we just want you to know that like, we understand like who we're working for, like all the money's in that bag. Like we have no, there's like no miscommunications or anything. And Walt's like, what? And like CNP goes in, he's like, yeah, like you can take it out and count it if you want. And he was like, <laughs> he kind of like flames him. He's like right here, like in public, you want me to like take the money out and just start counting it? And he's like, I'm just saying like, we, like we're good. And Walt kind of realizes that this is more like a, a fear thing and not like a, a skepticism thing and he's he's he says like what have you heard and they're like dude we know that jesse like killed that guy and bashed his head in with an atm machine and so that's the rumor that is wound up on the street is that jesse killed spooge for like basically like robbing skinny pete and like so now jesse has this whole reputation of being like a brutal murderer like if people like do anything against this organization that they have started even to the point where they're like they even said like oh yeah guys that we usually have to like chase down for money like they had it all up front like people people know like not to mess not to mess with us now and stuff what an interesting turn of events that now everyone like jesse is literally holed up smoking pot in his apartment because he's so horrified by everything that happened meanwhile on the streets everybody's terrified of jesse because they think that he like did that couple in what's also really interesting is the drop or this like exchange for you know cash and drugs to keep dishing out drugs on the street they do at the national museum of nuclear science and history so they're like a bunch of all this like cold war era atomic bomb films and replicas and stuff like that and i'm like dude 
you're just showing your hand of who the fuck you are and where you got your name from, Heisenberg. Like this is this is you. So silly and and hilarious. That whole thing was just very funny. So Hank is getting honestly like very disrespected at his new like appointed job, but he has no idea because they all speak Spanish and Hank does not speak Spanish. And so like one of the insults they even make is like, damn, they really sent us this guy up here who like doesn't even speak the language. Like, oh, he's, you know, he's a big shot in uh, Albuquerque, but like welcome to El Paso or whatever. Like they don't appreciate his jokes, like which like jokes can also be put in quotation marks because it's usually him just being racist towards like Hispanic people. And he's not fluent in Spanish at all, like any of that. They go to like talk to this informant that they have who's like with the cartel and his his nickname is Tortuga, which we will come back to uh, because wow. And he's played by, oh my God, what's his name? Danny Trejo. Thank you. I, God damn, I love him so much. I, I was so excited. I heard his voice before they like actually cut to his face on the screen i was like no way he's in this <laughs> not for long spoiler alert but i was jazzed i was like what an excellent casting choice and so this this guy tortuga he he's absolutely like he knows he's got kind of the cards basically like in his hand so he's just being He's just being a dickwad, honestly, like with these DEA agents, he's toying with them, playing like playing with them, all of that. Hank finally like snaps because he's like, I think he, he definitely recognizes the tension amongst the fellow like DEA people in El Paso, but not necessarily to the extent of like what they're actually saying, because again, he doesn't speak the language. And so he snaps at this informant and he's like, tell us like where the drop is like all you know like where is this happening like out in the desert and stuff and and he goes like okay okay like here's all of the information but he also makes a comment he's like but do you know what what they call me they call me tortuga you want to know why it's spanish for turtle because i take my time but i always win oh boy so he does yeah he you know that's he thinks he always wins clearly we get to Hank is and the DEA. They're like posted up in the desert. They've got binoculars. They're like hidden and they're basically watching the road where Tortuga told them that he should be. And this is like, this is where we get Hank is lying down in the dirt with his binoculars, like really trying to hone in. And these El Paso DEA agents are just clowning him and they're, they're clowning him in Spanish and he even turns around at one point. He was like, something I should know. And they're like, oh, no, we're just talking about like how like how good you are and like how honored we are to like have you here, blah, 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 which like I think we can see that he knows is bullshit. And so it's kind of like on top of his PTSD, he's very clearly not liked as he's like still watching shortly after that. He's like, hey, isn't that your guy down there? And they like look through the binoculars and they're like, Oh yeah, that is, that is him. And then there's like a pause and they're like, Oh shit. And then they cut and we just see Tortuga's head kind of like moving and along the the desert. And we're like, what the fuck? They like immediately hop in the car. 
drive down there and Tortuga's head has been mounted on top of a desert tortoise. And that is why it was moving along everything. So it was clearly like someone in the cartel found out that he was a narc and killed him, knew that the DEA was going to be staking out that drop spot and sent his head on that turtle as a message, um, which is why I said his name was relevant because they put Tortuga on a Tortuga. Hank, this is a moment where like we see Hank get very disturbed, which again, we haven't seen in the past. Like he even what he like FaceTimed Walt in for that. Um, what's his face at the, at Tuco's brother-in-law's like crime scene. And like, that was all gory and everything. This is the first time that we see Hank actually affected. And we can assume that it has to do with the shootout and the, the kind of trauma that was from everything. So Hank, almost throws up and has to like remove himself and he like walks away up towards the car and just like collects a breath and the guys start clowning him they're like what you've never seen like a severed head uh on a turtle before like kind of being like welcome to the big leagues buddy like this is what it's like all the time out here and no sooner than they start clowning him then an explosion goes off there was a bomb strapped to the tortoise as well that was like clearly meant for the the DEA agents. Hank, because he walked away, was completely unharmed and all of the other DEA agents were in the blast zone pretty much and like multiple people died. One of the main El Paso DEA guys that we had seen for a while had like a leg and both his arms just like blown off. Like it was it was gory and horrible and there were like screams and everything. And that's just kind of like where that ended. Like we, we didn't like we, this explosion goes off and we see the pain and dismemberment and everything, but we see Hank is completely fine because he walked away and he was getting clowned for walking away, which I was like, damn, that that's fucked. That was like a, that in, in such a creative storytelling sequence of events, I loved it. And again, the, all this with the cartel, it definitely shows that obviously the cartel is significantly more violent than like anything that Walt or Jesse, Jesse have actually been a part of yet. Like Tuco was crazy, but Tuco wasn't like intentionally thoughtful about how to take people out and send messages and things. And so it kind of ties back to the opening song of like, cartel is coming for Heisenberg, like watch out. And it kind of makes that threat more real. Yeah, it kind of shows us it's like an omen of things to come. It feels like of like you thought this first season and the first episodes of this season were crazy. Wait till you see what really happens when the big leagues get involved, because I think it's it's setting us setting our expectations up better, which I think is nice of like, oh, shit's going to hit the fan in a crazy way. Because Tuco, we're learning, is only just this kind of solo hotshot who has some cartel ties, but it's just people left him in power because he was crazy getting high on his own stash, and they didn't want to deal with him because he clearly has been getting in trouble a lot anyways, because even in season one, we know he got out of jail recently from Skinny Pete and was dealing again. And then in a much more, uh, I'll say like mundane, we get Skylar's plotline this episode, which 
I would like to say I absolutely called because I mentioned it last episode. I picked up on a moment where she was looking longingly at a photo with some dude. Well, that some dude comes in on this episode and we find out that he is her old boss slash friend, supposedly, from where she used to be an accountant. And because she is so stressed out now that as far as she knows, Gretchen and Elliot have stopped their funding of things at like, I don't know, what is she like seven months pregnant or something? I don't know. She definitely lies. The baby's coming. She like goes and applies for a job at her old company. And the woman who's like the intake lady is like, Oh, like, when are you like do and she's like, she's severely pregnant. And she's like, Oh, like not for like seven months, which is so funny. It was clear like the woman at the front desk had zero interest in taking her application or anything. And she's like, um, is Ted here? I'd actually like love to see Ted. And she's like, he's, you know, he's busy right now, blah, blah, blah. And he's and she was like, No, that's okay. Like, he'll, he'll want to see me. And she goes back there. And he's immediately like, Oh, my God, Skylar. And he turns to the lady. He's like, No calls. Uh, like, can't get can, and, and she's like, Oh, okay. And the tension is just immediately prevalent. But we find out that like, he has a family and he has kids now and he offers her instead of this like entry level position that she had been applying for he offers her like her actual old accounting job back and he was like we're expanding you know you are a go-to person like i would love to have you i would love to have you back she's like oh yeah like great this is this is perfect whatever then we cut to like she's at home with her sister telling her about this like new job she got and her sister's like oh like where and Skylar's like, oh, at my old place. And we find out that Ted had, she, because uh, her sister is like, oh, um, is that, wasn't that the place with like Mr. Grabby Hands or whatever? She was like, it was one time like at a, at a part, at a Christmas party or whatever. And she's like, she's like, he's got a family now. Like times have changed. Like I never felt like anything, you know, strange, like, or, or whatever. They're like, okay. And then Walt gets home. And like Skylar kind of makes eyes to be like, we are not talking about this. We are not telling Walt that I got this job. And we are discontinuing this conversation. And so it doesn't come out until later that Skylar's like, I got a job today. It was like when they were like alone. And Walt was like, why? <laughs> and she was like, well, we, we like, you know, they're not funding anything anymore. Like we need additional income. And his, once again, he's coming from a place of like, is she okay to do that right now at like going to have this baby any moment stage of pregnancy? And she was like, Oh yeah. Like my doctor said, I'm totally good. Like, like I can work up until like I go into labor basically. And he was like, Oh, okay. And he was like, just didn't the guy who like owned the company die. And she was like, yeah. And he's like, Oh, who took over? And she's like, his son He was like, Oh, okay. And they just, this makes it clear to me that like, Walt never knew about maybe the advances that were made because he never brings it up. And I'm like, okay, so like Walt knew Skylar, obviously, like when she worked there, but was never made aware of anything like that, that grabby hands comment, you know, like, and so she obviously doesn't bring it up or whatever. And it's like, great, great. And then the next day, the Skylar and Ted, like her, her new boss, like see each other. 
he's like that he does that classic like guy like in a movie sort of thing where he like he like pops in and he says something he's like okay great and then he pops out and then he pops up and he's like oh by the way like blah 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 and then he pops out and then and then in this we find out that him and his wife aren't together anymore and that uh he does but he does like help take care of these two kids or whatever and then the last time he pops in he was like we should get lunch tomorrow or like and she's like great yeah like we'll yeah we'll have let's have lunch and like it's clear that there is chemistry between the two of them which is very depressing uh but at the same time we have not seen like any chemistry between walt and skylar except for like the very beginning of season one and it's refreshing to see this the the chemistry be there and so i felt i felt conflicted as an audience member where i was like i want to be on walt's side which is also crazy because Walt is fully a criminal uh but i i'm like i feel like my loyalty lies with walt in a way but i'm also like this marriage is not good for so many reasons that skylar doesn't even know and clearly ted is like a stable guy who's not a drug lord uh and like like cares about her um so i'm interested to see kind of like how that narrative plays out me too. Me, I can't say anything. It's one of these episodes where it's just, I can't say anything it much. <laughs> it's just, it just kind of is what it is, yeah. We also get a little bit of Jesse, because after Walt hears about the reputation that Jesse has kind of thing, he immediately visits Jesse again, and it's this whole, like, pep-talking thing. Like, Walt's like, we're going to expand. We're going to take over the whole city. And we're like, oh, shit. Like, this is why the beginning of the episode was warning us, because... You know, they already saw from him taking over one person's territory that, like, and the drugs have, like, crossed the border into Mexico, so they know about the quality of it now because, you know, drugs will do that in the in the criminal world. But now, like, Walt's like, I want to take over all of it because we can, and we can raise the price, too, because we know our shit's the best and everyone's going to pay premium for it. We're going to take over this whole town. Like, I want your dealers to get dealers of their own and we'll have a whole network and like jesse's like are you crazy initially and walt is like dude have you heard like you are a legend people are scared of you like they're willing to do anything so we're gonna do this and and it goes into this weird walt compares him to a blowfish and it's this whole weird of like you're a blowfish. Like everyone, anyone gets too close, you just push them out and you attack. And Jesse's like weirded by it initially, and Walt starts pumping up. Let me hear you say it. Let me hear you call yourself a blowfish. And Jesse's like, I'm a blowfish. I'm like, yes, you're right. You're a blowfish. And Jesse's like, I'm a blowfish. And it's just so weird, <laughs> honestly. But like, great that like Walt's getting Jesse out of this really depressing state so i don't know if it's like good or bad because it clearly has really it's a bad intention but means well to get him out of this really bad depressive cycle so like it's very conflicting how i feel but it's also very comedic so i love that yeah i honestly forgot about that it was it was just a big like what the fuck scene honestly but it was like okay heard then we end with jesse is like in his apartment smoking some weed staring at his television that can't connect to the satellite and he sees jane come home and he kind of like peeks out the like blinds of his front door and he like holds a cup to the wall because he's like trying to hear 
like what she's up to, like what she might be doing. And he realizes that she's like gone outside basically to like smoke a cigarette. So he goes out there as well. They just start kind of like talking and she's drawing uh, in like a sketchbook, which we've learned very briefly, but just through like scenes that that Jesse likes to like draw and and used to be very good at it. Like when he went home um, to his parents' place and he found like some of his like old art and stuff, she mentions that it's like a tattoo that she plans on like doing or getting like she has an apprenticeship. And so they're like talking about that. This guy on a motorcycle drives by and he recognizes Jesse, knows what Jesse's about now, like because Jesse's got this street reputation and calls him fully by his whole ass government name, like, <laughs> which was so funny, um, like Jesse Pinkman. And then obviously he told her his name is Jesse Jackson. So that doesn't line up. And so after this motorcycle guy like drives away, he's like, all right, so um, I did lie about my name. It's not Jackson. And she's basically like, yeah, I, I truly don't care as long as like the apartment's good. And he's like, the apart- oh, like, don't worry. Like the apartment's great. Actually, like you, you can come in like if you want to like come see like the apartment. And she agrees to like go watch some TV with him. And they're, they're, the ending shot of this episode is just they're sitting in lawn chairs in an empty living room, staring at a TV screen that can't connect to the satellite. And it was so funny because it just emanated like Netflix and chill vibes. But like when your Wi-Fi is down and like you're there with some girl and you're like, this is crazy. I don't know like why the internet's taking so long. I'm so sorry. Like painfully awkward silence and like time just passing and like it never connects but the ending shot is we see her make the move to like reach out and like kind of like link pinkies with him so that they're kind of like holding hands and they're just like staring straight forward at this television that is not ever going to connect and i thought that was just like a very cool kind of like sweet way to end this episode amongst the fact that we literally watched a severed head on a tortoise blow up dea agents a mere 30 minutes prior so it's a great ending for the episode because yeah, whenever I think about this episode, I forget about all the terrible things that happen and think about like, oh, Jesse's taking control of his life. Oh, I'm so happy <laughs> <Yeah>. for Jesse. <laughs> Jesse's doing so good. Like, <laughs> I think that's something that's cool about this show in in general, though. That I is like, they have such a great balance between just like, whoa, what the hell was that? Like that was crazy or disturbing or whatever word you want to throw there, matched with like. Aw, like, <laughs> which is, which is uh, honestly a testament because not a lot of shows can do that well. Great, great writing and direction, like great creative teams, like doing, doing so much good work. Yeah, so fun. I mean, the, the only like big pieces of trivia that aren't spoilery, because I can't tell you any spoilery trivia, can't ruin things for us. So the title of this episode translates to Black and Blue, and there's a lot throughout the episode that kind of like, ties into that kind of theming like i mean in the beginning when they're talking about heisenberg he's a man dressed in all black who deals the blue drugs you know so like that that's the very very apparent one right it's right there in your face but then there's also like like metaphorically it can kind of like also i i was also reading like it kind of can also translate to like a heavy bruising because it's black and blue and so you can kind of see that with like characters and stuff like trauma and like 
the situation of things of like, oh, everyone's kind of been hurt really bad and we're all trying to heal. Like, especially Jesse from like the previous episode. Like, that's, that's the most immediate one. And then also, it's like a nice, like, at the end of the episode, you got Jesse and Jane who are dressed in black looking at a blue TV screen. And it's just kind of like this little full circle moment, which is nice. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that kind of like just does it for for this episode. Kind of wraps it up. Well, we will return to Breaking Bad soon. But next week, we're hopping into some movies. And I thought because it's, you know, we live in the U.S., so it's near like the normal election day of the year, November, the first Tuesday of November's election day usually in the U.S. when it's a big election year. We're kind of between elections this year because it's an odd year, so there's not many elections going on. So I was like, oh, let's do a political thriller. That'd be fun, right? Yes. So diving in our movies, I have picked The Imitation Game from 2014, directed by Morton Tildum and written by Graham Moore. And then I chose the 1992 film Patriot Games, starring Harrison Ford, of course, uh, adapted from a Tom Clancy novel directed by Philip Noyce. So yeah, that kind of does it for this week's episode. So yeah, tune in next week for those fun thrillers. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it'll be a good one to talk about. Of course, uh, like, subscribe, rate us, comments of what you want us to talk about. If you want us to dive into anything deeper, return to anything, let us know. We're, we're game for all the stuff. But yeah, this has been Resonant Reels. I've been Chandler. I've been Adam. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.